this week I was thinking about um, thinking about my college days back when Grover Cleveland was president. You know those days. Um, you have a, you meet all sorts of interesting people in college. One of the people that I met, and he was he was a friend. We weren't that close, but uh, we we did spend time together. What I remember most about him is regardless of a person's name that you brought up, he somehow knew that person. He kind of knew that person. So it was always, you could pick, after a while it almost became a game, because you could pick the most random person. He went, oh yeah, 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 I know them. Yeah, met them a couple weeks ago. You, You probably have met that kind of person. And so after a while it became quite a bit of a joke because you knew, I don't think he knows these people quite as well as he's letting on he knows these people. And so the joke even among him and among all our friends was, yeah, yeah, know him, yeah, know him well. Anybody you talk about. My, I was thinking about that because I recognized there's the, quite the opportunity that we may know Jesus in that capacity. We're, we associate with him. We've met him. I would imagine for most in this room, in some way, shape, or form, you identify with him. But how well do you know him? I wanted to dig into that through a series of messages in the first few chapters of John. I want us to answer this question, who, who is he? Who is Jesus? And how well do we know him? Because if, if you're going to self-identify as a Christian... If you're going to put up a cross in your house or wear a cross around your neck, if you're going to believe you have a real relationship with God because of Jesus, he needs to be more to you than just a a person you know a few stories about and the rest you just kind of fill in the gap with. You know, I like to think of Jesus as a, or I always have thought Jesus is a, you need more than that. You need something firmer than that. If someone or something was to, was to give a picture of Jesus that wasn't true, would you be able to recognize that? Would you be able to know, yeah, I don't think that portrayal of Jesus is exactly accurate. It makes total sense to me to like slow down and wrap our minds around who Jesus is, even if it means, even if it means in these first few chapters of John often aren't that unfamiliar, even if it means covering some familiar ground, because the writer of the words we are going to look back and read, the writer, his name is John. He would have lived some of his life, I was thinking about this, some of his life he would have lived before coming to know Jesus. And then there would have been that day that's described in Scripture where he actually did meet Jesus, where he was introduced to him. And then he would have followed Jesus for years and would have grown very close to Jesus. He would have watched Jesus die on the cross. He would have seen the risen Jesus and the ruling and the reigning Jesus. He would have been present that day at Pentecost when the Spirit came and filled his life, and he was never the same after that. He was a friend of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He would teach and lead others to believe in Jesus. And he wrote a book. We have it preserved for us. It's the book of John, 21 chapters. And in chapter 20, he tells us exactly why he wrote that book. 
He says, I we could have included many other things, but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in Him. That's why he wrote, so that we might believe who Jesus is and come to know Him. It's interesting the way he starts the story, because before, before he goes to tell instances of the life of Jesus, he wants to make sure we identify clearly who Jesus is. John begins his story by making sure we understand, first of all, that Jesus was in the beginning. So as Jacob read a moment ago, in the beginning was the Word. John is telling us, not subtly, that Jesus is eternal. We have four different witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all look back to where Jesus came from. And, and they all kind of point, have a different vantage point. So Mark will take the story of Jesus and he'll back it up to the life of John the Baptist and the ministry of John the Baptist. And then Matthew will take the story of Jesus and he'll back it up to Abraham. And Luke will take the story of Jesus and he'll back it all the way up to Adam, the first human being. But John takes the story and he backs it all the way up to in the beginning. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that in the beginning rings some, rings some bells for you because that's the way the whole Bible starts. So you go back to Genesis 1.1 and it starts the same way, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This happened in the beginning. And notice all the themes that are in John 1 that are also in Genesis 1. This idea of God creating, uh, of earth being this formless place with darkness, and this idea of God speaking words and there being light and God initiating all kinds of life in the verses that follow in Genesis 1. And what John tells us is in the beginning, Jesus was there. In the beginning, Jesus was there. If you stop and think about it just for a moment, John is an ordinary human being and he is taking us back to the beginning of time, and he's saying, I know what was going on there. That's a pretty bold statement. That's an audacious statement to make, but he makes it because he knows who was in the beginning. He knows the actions and the words of Jesus Christ, and he tells us, he tells us that there never was a time when God the Son was not. He tells us that Jesus was never created. He never came into being. He has always been. Before the start of everything we can think about, John says, in the beginning was the Word it is interesting to me that John uses those words to introduce this writing so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. Why does he use that title, the Word? 
He could have said in the beginning was Jesus. He could have said in the beginning was the Son of God. In the beginning was Messiah. In the beginning was Christ. But instead, instead he uses this title. In the beginning was the Word. I think by using that, there's some flexibility. But, and there's all sorts of specu- speculation on why did he use that particular designation of Jesus? Why say he is the Word? If you go back to the Old Testament, which John knew really, really well, because all throughout his writing, he is, he is alluding to it time and time again. The Word of God in Psalm 33, it says in Psalm 33, 6, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And so John says, in the beginning was the Word. And it also says over and over again in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came to this particular person. The word of the Lord came to this prophet, this man, this woman. The word of the Lord came to them. What, did, what does that signify? It signifies God communicating to his people and communicating his purpose to his people, revealing something about himself. In Psalm 107:20, it says that the word of God restores and heals and delivers. The word of the Lord So I don't think it's random that John grabs that title and says, this is a designation. He is the Word. He identifies that Word as Jesus in verse 17 of John 1. But for now, he wants his readers to know there is an individual, and his name is the Word. And it's a communication, a self-expression of God that's happening. I would... I appreciate the way one lady wrote. She said, the way in which a human being's audible words relate to his or her inaudible thoughts is the way that the divine human Jesus relates to the invisible God. When you read Genesis 1, you get again and again, and God said, and God said, and God said. These are the, this is the word of God, the word of God. And John believes that just as God created, that this word is the agent of God's creation. This word is the person of God's eternal son who came to earth. And we know it's Jesus of Nazareth. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. But we know more than just the fact that he was in the beginning. We also hear loudly and clearly that Jesus is God. So not only do we know that Jesus was in the beginning, we also know that Jesus is God. It says that in in John 1, 1 and 2, it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And John's just not trying to do mental gymnastics here. He's describing a reality. First, he says the Word is distinguished in some ways from, from God from the God that has revealed himself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. So it's, there's the Word and then there's God. And there's some sort of distinguishing that John wants to make sure is clear. But, but he also makes sure we know it's not just that they're there. The Word is with God. There's a close relationship between this one who's identified as the Word and this one who is identified as God. So there's a close relationship. And how can this be? I mean, the Bible speaks over and over again of there just being one God. 
But now he says there is someone in the beginning. His name is the Word, and he was with God. But then just before we start asking too many questions, he says the Word was with God, but yet the Word also was God, was and is God. There is one God in essence and three persons. Jesus is recognized as God. This isn't easy to get your mind around. All you have to do is read church history and like, 100 A.D. and 200 A.D. and 300 A.D., 400, 500, and you read of like church councils and creeds where they're trying to work these things out. They're calling all sorts of church leaders together to say, how exactly can we reflect this reality that there, there truly is one God? There's not two, there's not three, there's not ten, there's not a hundred. There's one God. But there also is persons with, within this one God, persons that have revealed that have been revealed to humanity, it's not easy to get your mind around. But this, rem- this tells us that when we come to meet Jesus, we're not simply meeting a great man, the best man we could ever meet in the world. When we come to meet Jesus, we are meeting God in a very real human being. I think it's wise to pause and make sure we understand something. Because I think there's sometimes in our effort to go along to get along, we begin to blur things and not be as clear as we should be. But when we say things like, Jesus is God, when we say those kinds of things about Jesus, just let's make sure we recognize we are saying things differently from what a Mormon would say about who Jesus is. We're saying things differently from what someone who is a practicing Jehovah's Witness says about Jesus. We're saying things different. We're saying something different from what a Unitarian would say about Jesus. We're saying something different from what a Hindu or a Muslim would say about Jesus. We're we're recognizing something very different when we say, He is God, period. We should always love our neighbor. We should always treat everybody with respect. Absolutely. We should also listen to what others are, where they're coming from. We should do that. But what we can never do as Christians, what we can never do is pretend we're just on the same page with those who believe differently about who Jesus is. It doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do them any good. We aren't on the same page. We, we don't do anybody favors if we just act like, yeah, everybody kind of agrees on all these kinds of things about Jesus, and it really doesn't matter anyway what you think. Everyone's right. No one's really wrong. It doesn't help anybody when Christians don't make sure we are distinct and clear in saying we believe this about Jesus. He was there in the beginning. We believe this about Jesus. He is God. We want to honor him. We want he either is who he claims to be or he's not. And we either accept this or we don't. I love this quote. I, I found it from a British writer. From a, he wrote a commentary many years ago on the book of John. And he says this, John intends that the whole of his gospel should be read in the light of this verse. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, 
the book is blasphemous. Don't get me wrong, just because we accept and receive and believe this, it doesn't make it any less mysterious. As I read John 1, the first several verses of this, there, there are places where this goes that are, are deeply mysterious, and they're actually hard to wrap, myself, wrap my mind around this God who's revealed himself in three persons. It's much easier for me to understand oh, the miracle stories. I mean, I at least can understand how, you know, feeding of the 5,000. I, I, I can understand some of those things a little bit more easily of healing a person that was lame. I can understand the conversation with the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. The other stories John tells, I can, I, 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 admittedly, I can understand those perhaps a little bit easier. But even if we have to work a little bit harder to understand exactly what's being said, I know it's worth it. What's tough is we live, we live in a soundbite age. We live where people have thought they could express themselves in 140 characters and just say everything that needs to be said. And so then you come to some places that are a little bit tougher in, as it relates to theology, a little bit tougher when it comes to teaching. And I, I, I have a fear that we tend to take this teaching of Jesus that, that goes a little bit below the surface and we just maybe even check out of the conversation. I was thinking sometimes we treat the deeper stuff like the bothersome language on a user agreement for a new app or an update. So you know what I'm talking about, where there's something you want to install on your phone or your tablet or your computer, and you just start scrolling, scrolling, scrolling until you get to the, okay, I agree, I agree. I'm sure it's important. Yeah, whatever. I'm sure I'm signing my life away. I agree. Just let me download the thing. Or, or could it be that, that it's like listening to that commercial for a car or for some, or for some medicine where like they're talking slow and clearly until about five seconds before it ends, and there's about 300 words crammed into those last five seconds. Or could it be like when I, when I go to... Fun- go to sign my mortgage, and it's like, initial this, initial this, initial this, sign this, sign this, sign this. I'm sure there is some overachiever that reads every word of that. I'm sure most of us, initial, 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 sign, 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 sign. My fear is when we come to places like, we hear Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus is God. Oh, yeah, click, I agree. What next? Oh, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. But have we done deep enough work to think about what it is when we say this is who he is? Our understanding of who Jesus Christ is should mean more to us than just something we click and assent to. I was thinking of a maybe a more helpful analogy than just like this mere formality Imagine with me, whether it's in an attic or a basement, there's this, there's this tub of scrapbooks and papers and picture albums and items that have been collected. And imagine as you open that, you begin to look through it and you begin to see parts of your story, parts of your heritage, things that you, you begin to remember things that you're even familiar with, but it all comes alive to you as you begin to open this and you recognize 
This isn't just like stuff sitting in a tub somewhere that has no meaning. This has deep, deep meaning because you are who you are because of some of the events that this records, some of the pictures that are documented. This is, this is part, forever will be part of who you are and, and what you've done and what you think and how you identify yourself. I wonder if we go to John, if we could read things like this and go, wait a minute, Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. This is core to the most important story of the universe. They matter for your story, who he is. You aren't the same because of who he is. So to review, Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was and is God. But as we go back to the beginning, we see another critical piece of information, and that is that everything, everything was made through Jesus. And particularly what's highlighted in John 1, 3 to 5 is the fact that life and light come through Jesus as, as the one who made things. He's the creator. He's the author and source of life and light. So John 1, 3 through 5 says this, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made, not one thing that was made. In him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome Everything was made through Jesus. That's what John believed. That's what Paul says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The writer of Hebrews says something similar. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son through whom he created the world. So Jesus is not merely your example. Jesus is not merely an admired martyr for you to kind of pattern your life after. Jesus is not just your inspiration for becoming a better you. He's your creator. He's the one who made you. He's the one who authored your story. In him is life. He's the one who has designed the life that you were meant to live. And by the time that Jesus comes in the flesh, into this world that he created, it's like a long way from Genesis 1. And this world that he comes into, remember Genesis 1, the, the description, God would make things and he would say, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And at the end he says, it's very good. By the time John 1, 1 is written, this world is is a difficult place. After the choice of Adam and Eve, after the choices of their children, their children's children, this world become a place that's fallen, that's broken. The story of earth, the population of earth has become, the story of earth has become one of darkness and death. Creation is good. We see signs of God and beautiful fall days. But creationism, rebellion against God and is broken and fallen and dark, and dying. That's why it's interesting the words that are used in John 1, 3. So it talks about Jesus coming into a world, a world that's dark. It's filled with darkness. It's interesting, whenever light is talked about, often in John, darkness is somewhere around. And when life is talked about, often death is somewhere around. It's showing us this contrast. And John has no problem in saying there there are some major contrasts in this world. 
So how will Jesus deal with death? Death in this world, death of people that matter to us, the separation that comes from death, death to seasons of life, death to dreams that we may have, the loss, the hurt. What we're told about Jesus is that in him is life. This one who created everything in him is life. So Jesus will talk about life a lot. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus will say, I've come, and my mission is to, so that people would have life and have abundant life. Jesus would be at at the tomb of a friend of his named Lazarus, and he would tell other friends of his, Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus would tell his disciples on the night he was betrayed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus wants us to know exactly how he will handle death. How he will handle death is in the fact that he is the life. The word is able to provide the life that Throughout all of time, people have been seeking and been crying out for. It says, in Jesus was life, and his life was the light of men, light of the human race. How does, how does God deal with death? Well, he deals with death in Jesus, who is the life. And how, how does God deal with darkness? How does God deal with this dark world? It doesn't take much to realize we live in a dark world. We live in a world filled with hate and greed and envy. We live in a world where there is darkness of pride and sexual sin and selfishness. We live in a world where there's like this subtle darkness of impatience and gossip and disrespect. We live in a world where, uh, of dark places where people are living with, with pain, chronic pain, emotional pain. We live in a world of darkness where abuse is far too common. We live in a world where people are suffering greatly. We live in a world that is filled with the darkness of addictions and pain of, dis, uh, uh, of eating disorders. We live in a world where there's, there's the darkness of self-harm and there's the darkness of fear and anxiety and uncertainty and we don't know what's coming next. And we live in that dark world and like what will ever get us out of that darkness and that is why it's so critical. Why John identifies Jesus and says in him was life and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and just like whenever you turn on a light, darkness is immediately eliminated. It's not a fair fight. The darkness cannot, cannot overcome the light that is in Jesus Christ. He comes as the light. Greater is the one who is in us than the one who's in the world. The gates of hell don't prevail against the church. Why? Because the light of the world is in us. This is who Jesus is. We, we must know these things about him 
we must know that he is our life and our light. I told you about my friend from college and his knowledge of so many people. Everybody was kind of familiar to him. But I have to be honest, I want so much more for every person that comes into contact with our church to know something more than just kind of familiar with Jesus. I want you to understand Christianity is more than a moral code that we're all trying to live by. And Christianity is is more than a vibe you just kind of go with for this season of life. It's about meeting Jesus, who's God in flesh, the main character of every one of our lives, the only one who can and does change us from the inside out. What I'd like for us to do is go to this holy place we call prayer. And what we do in prayer, think about this, we, we pray to the Father, but we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray through Jesus, this one that we've talked about, who is actually in the beginning with God, our Father, the one who is God and, and pleads for us. We can go to him in prayer and ask for his help. Let, let's do that. Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus. And this one we've talked about, he sees and he hears, he's God and he's our Savior. Father, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. We do wonder how he could love us. Open our eyes, open our eyes to see him. Father, for that person that's struggling, maybe this is brand new information for them. Open their eyes that they might see who Jesus is and see his love. I pray for us as a church family that you would change our hearts to live in obedience to him. Father, make us a community who is totally devoted to Jesus. We sung a moment ago for this cause we live, for this cause we'd be willing to die that we would surrender everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. I echo that prayer. May we live more to build his name than our own. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.